All right, you can have a seat. Kids can head on out for their programming. And you can let your teachers know it won't be a real long sermon tonight. I think I almost heard an amen over here for that. We don't get many amens, but that's... No, I really don't. I don't want to preach a long time tonight. Uh, We've got uh, communion at the end of the sermon. Uh, We're we're, going to have everyone processed down, although we'll still be kind of doing the sealed cups and things, although we're looking at some different options uh, starting again in the new year. Um, And then we get to celebrate a baptism uh, of of, uh, Emory, which we're very excited about. So I know that's a real reason we're here. That's a real reason we gathered. So I don't want to take a real long time tonight, but I do think we would be missing an opportunity If we did not pause for a moment in this first chapter of Luke, where the lectionary takes us this week, uh, in our passage this week is included a a song or a poem uh, by Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, as she is pregnant with Jesus, and it's called Mary's Magnificat, is what it's called. And it's this beautiful song sung by Mary about the new life inside of her and what it will mean to all of us. Um, And it's honestly one of the more popular uh, sets of verses in the Bible. Um, And when looking at the Magnificat, it would be easy for us tonight to spend all of our time on the content of what she says, of of her lyric, of of her prose there, what she is saying. We could spend all of our time on that. Um, because it is pretty powerful, it's pretty amazing, although it is one of those songs uh, that I find a bit ironic because it's, it's widely beloved, but I'm not really sure we're listening to the content of it. And you know there's songs like that in the world, right? Uh, I, when, when we had our first child, uh, I, I don't sing, I'm not a singer, you don't want me to sing, I won't do it on the microphone right now because I uh, honor you and, and your ears. But you want to sing when you get a baby for the first time. You want to kind of sing. And, and uh, it was the first time it really occurred to me that the words to Rockabye Baby are horrific. We sing them because it's what you sing to a child. But um, there's, you know, and, and you know, there's songs, it's like babies in treetops. Why? Why is there a baby in the treetop? And then it's when the bow breaks. Not if, when. Like it's going to happen. When the bow breaks and down come baby. I mean, this is a horrible song. Why do we sing this song? But like, if someone sings it right, we all kind of go, oh, this is really sweet, right? I remember the first time being old enough to really get what was going on in Greece, having known most of the songs and realizing like, oh wait, I probably shouldn't have been singing some of this when I was real little. The plot of this play is not exactly the most, not exactly what I want my daughter to learn, you know, growing up. When I was in college, there was a song uh, that got really popular called uh, Semi Charmed Life by a band called Third Eye Blind, and it's one of the catchiest songs ever written. Most of you right now, just me saying that, if you were alive at the same time I was, are starting to sing the doot-doot-doos in your head. Everybody was singing the doot-doot-doos everywhere they went. It played from cards, it played from everywhere. It was one of the catchiest kind of pop rock songs ever written. And then you get the CD, and you open up and you read the lyrics, and you realize it's about crystal meth. Do, 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 right? I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's a heavy material in that song just wrapped up in this music. And I think we all sing to the music and we like the music, but we aren't really looking at the lyrics here, right? And I think every year at this time, we all have our hearts warmed by this Christmas song, by this Magnificat of Mary. 
In the same way we have our hearts warmed uh, with a song that I'll still never understand about a child finding the parents of a newborn who will be uh, the savior of the world and deciding to play a drum solo for them. Can any parents who have experienced a newborn think of anything worse that could happen than some little kid walking in and starting to pound on a snare drum, right? But it warms our hearts. We don't really think about the words. And sometimes I think we love Mary's Magnificat. We don't really listen to it or look at the words because the words are pretty revolutionary, right? Here Mary sings about God, the God that is within her about him scattering the proud, bringing down whoever sits on the throne. This is revolutionary stuff. About lifting up the lowly, about feeding the hungry, and giving the rich nothing else. It's a very radical song about what will soon be her pretty radical son. But I, this, this year, well, we've certainly talked about all those words before and what they mean, and they kind of tie back to what we've talked about with John the Baptist, where you're you know, leveling the mountains and straightening the crooked roads and all these kind of things. There's some beautiful tie-ins there. But tonight, I don't want to talk about the lyrics. I don't want to talk about what Mary sings. For the first time as I was looking at this story, it, it kind of stuck with me. I want to spend a few minutes talking about what causes her to sing, why she sings. There's something I never noticed before this. What is it that gets her to sing this song? And I'm not sure what it is for you. What is it that makes you belt out a tune or dance the jig or celebrate in whatever demonstrative way you're not too embarrassed to do? What is it that gets you going like that, right? We all have our triggers for joy like this. Maybe it's, you know, your football team scoring or maybe it's something else, but you have it too. What is your trigger for this kind of joy? And I find it interesting what sets Mary off. Because we get to see her in these, in these few verses receive good news two times and have two very different reactions, right? You remember the first time she gets her first dose of this good news in a very miraculous way. This is in uh, verses 26 through 38 of Luke 1. It says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. An angel of God shows up and says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, will, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child, will be born, that, therefore the child that is born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. An angel, an angel showed up. An angel appeared to Mary 
and tells her about a miraculous pregnancy that makes no sense in human terms, tells her what it will mean, tells her how this baby will have the throne of David, he will be the son of God, there will be no end to his kingdom, tells her this amazing stuff. An angel tells her this amazing stuff, this transcendent experience with a heavenly being, telling that all you and your ancestors have hoped for for generations, all you have prayed for for generations, is finally coming to pass through you and your child. Amazing. And Mary said, here I am, the Lord of the servant, let it be according to your word. And the angel left. I wonder if the angel is disappointed a little bit. That's not a verb. That situation deserves a little more of a reaction to that, I'll be honest. I wonder if the, the, you know, the angel left a little bit disappointed, kind of like some of you parents are going to experience on Christmas for that thing that you worked really hard on and you were so excited about, and your kid goes, huh, and then puts it to the side and goes to the next thing. Like, you should be more happy about that. That's all you have to say after that announcement, right? It doesn't even hardly seem like Mary's pulse went up during the response. But then later, it says this at the end of verse 41 through 45. Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry. This is her relative, her cousin Elizabeth. Exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So her cousin says, blessed are you. Blessed are you among women. This is unbelievable. This gets to happen to me. Blessed are you. And then Mary sings. Not may it be as you. Mary sings a song. And she brings the house down. It's a big song. It's still popular. Then Mary sang, right? Now, based on her response to the angel, I would not assume she was the singing type. I would not assume she would be the bust into a song in the middle of it type of person. But when her pregnant cousin calls her blessed, when what is her friend recognizes what is in Mary and what is happening in Mary, when the woman she looks up to blesses her and believes in what God is doing through her, then Mary sings. It's not until another person sees it, recognizes it, blesses it, and celebrates it that Mary sings. Now, it's a risk every week when you're preaching, but it is very possible I might be overthinking this. And if you think so, you're you're probably right. But this caught me this week for some reason, and I think it tells us something that's very deeply true about us as human beings. Because It is a truly beautiful thing to have an encounter with God. It is a truly amazing thing to be called by God, to know and to accept God's love, God's blessing, God's blessedness, God's call. It is all a beautiful thing to have that deep sense that God has chosen you to carry God's divinity into this world in one form or another. But I'm not convinced our souls really sing until the person next to us sees it in us as well. I think it's just how we're made. great American prophet and poet, Johnny Cash, sings a song where he describes all that is beautiful and inspiring about the world around him. 
And then he gets to the chorus in which he plainly states, in this case, I think it's about his wife, June. After he talks about all that is beautiful around him, he says, but flesh and blood needs flesh and blood, and you're the one I need. And I believe that's true. I think flesh and blood needs flesh and blood. I think we can have profound spiritual experiences, and they matter. I think we can have transcendent encounters with the divine that defy category, and those are beautiful and amazing. But eventually, flesh and blood needs flesh and blood. Eventually, you and I need someone to look us in the face, to know the mess that our lives can be and sometimes continue to be, but to see us, to see what is in us, and to unequivocally tell us, you are a blessing. And what you have to give to this world is a blessing. I see God in you. I see what God is doing through you. I think we need that. Flesh and blood needs flesh and blood. And I think that's why Mary's pregnant in the first place. That's why incarnation matters. That's why the God of the universe ends up as a baby, laying in a manger, crying for its milk. It's why we celebrate in this room each week together. It's why we gather at a communion table together. It's why we, it's why we pass God's peace back and forth to one another together because flesh and blood needs flesh and blood. That's why we will gather and baptize Emory a little later on tonight. It's not just some religious rite that people need to go through. Even though we may not be able to be capable of loving her to the same degree and in the same way that the God of the universe does and will continue to do, we see her and we say, you are a blessing. You are God's beloved. You carry within you the very presence of God's love in this world and we are all better for it. This is the gift, one of the gifts we offer the world. To go out in this world and despite all the evidence sometimes to the contrary, to look other human beings in the eye and to say, we see you. We see God in you. We see God's love in you. To make the word flesh, as it says in the Gospel of John. And it just struck me this week that maybe that's what we need to be thinking about this Christmas season. Because gifts are nice. But I'm betting that this season, the best present we can give to one another is this kind of affirmation of what God is and is doing in other people. I imagine what you most want as you go into this season is not any particular thing from your Amazon list but to be with people whose very presence looks you in the face and calls you beloved. To look your friends in the face and call them blessed. To be the one that stirs the song in someone else. To receive and give God's love and acceptance to each other, Knowing that hearing it from each other, for whatever reason, does something to our souls that an isolated religious experience, even amazing ones, can't quite do. It's just who we are. It's a high calling. 
But this Christmas, let's help each other sing. Because I see you, I see God in you, I see God's love in you, and I know what that means to your world. And you should know that. Let's pray. God, again, we are grateful that you are a God who is not just above us, not just a creator of all things, but you are a God who is with us, and you're a God who is within us. That this Advent season, that this Christmas story tells us very clearly that you are not a distant God. That you are a God who dwells among us. That you're a God whose feet got dirty in the same dust our feet get dirty within that you love us as we are in this world, as messy as it is. And that you have chosen us as frail and as broken as we sometimes are to be the vehicles by which you give your love to this world. So Lord, may each person in this room uh, hear that clearly. May they, like Mary, know that they are chosen and beloved. That they are the child of God, loved without condition, and the carriers of that love into this world. God, may we see each other and see you in each other this Advent and Christmas season. God, we do love you. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, will you stand with me? So tonight we're going to do a communion together before we go out for Emory's baptism.